it's springtime in the Southern Hemisphere and the gardens have just exploded into spring bling. We've got tulip time. Every second public space is full of tulips and blossoms and it's just absolutely glorious. Hi, Sarge. Hi, Flo. Mm -hmm. How are you doing? It absolutely is gorgeous at the moment. We have the flowers doing their thing. It is the perfect spring bling. That's the that's the way to describe it, spring bling. Yeah, and you know what? I think everyone gets mesmerised by it because we've come out of this sort of drab winter and all this colour hits you and everyone's just taking photos and loving all this colour. But what we want to talk to you about today is what happens when the colour goes. When it all goes. because it is short three weeks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so flowers or foliage, finding the balance in garden design. Getting this balance is so important from a garden design perspective and this is where it's really easy to get taken up with these one-hit wonders. Yeah, exactly. They are one-hit wonders. Yeah. Think about Video Killed the Radio Star for those of you <laughs> who are the same generation as us. It's the same for a tulip. So I just want to welcome all our listeners today. So welcome to the On Garden Design podcast with longtime friends, Fleur and Saatchi, where we're chatting about gardens and what makes a garden great. And we try to inspire you and make designing accessible to anyone who's interested in gardens. So you can find us on Facebook and Insta and follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you know when the next episode's available. So we're going to get right into it today. So why are we've already talked a bit about why we are talking about flowers or foliage, but I guess the key thing is the what is what's in this, and and the why is because it's very easy to get mesmerised by pretty things. That's right, and we had a great weekend just in the. It sounds like we travel there every weekend from if you've been listening to these podcasts more regularly, <laughs> but we often go to the Southern Highlands for a girls' weekend with old school friends. And we chose this one specifically. And sorry, for those of you who are not in Canberra or around us, the Southern Highlands is in New South Wales in Australia. Um, and they do a spectacular spring. They are a great, I guess, climate for bulbs and things. And they have amazing gardens. So we timed it just to go up there. And so we had the mass tulips, the mass daffodils, the things that make spring spring. So we did, we did a lot of thinking about, well, what does it look like when all of that stuff's gone? What's yeah. left? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and this is where, because, you know, we are a garden design podcast. You know, we aren't just about the one-time bling um, pretties in the garden, but we're about helping you think through those design elements that just will carry your garden through every season. So when you open those curtains in winter, you're still satisfied. What we're really asking you, and I'm just, I have to throw this in because, you know, it's one of those things that I just listened to and I went, well, it's a bit, you know, hoity-toity, isn't it? <laughs> it, was the, it was, we're talking about the fourth dimension of time in your garden. Really, that's what this is about because you do want your garden to be, well, you don't necessarily, as Fleur said, you might want to make a decision that I'm going to throw my all into spring or I'm going to throw my all into the summer flowers. But make that decision consciously and know that when you do, you're potentially trading off for other seasons. Yeah. And actually, what's really interesting, because I'm, I'm an avid attender at the Open Gardens Canberra scheme. I love going into other people's gardens and pottering around. You're and just nosy, basically. I'm nosy. And it, it's a free <laughs> ticket to be nosy. And the lovely thing is that you... It's a connection. You get a sense of the pulse of community because you hear other conversations. You're hearing what other people are loving. Uh, and most of these gardens aren't designer gardens. They're just Home gardeners' gardeners. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and so you get a sense of what kind of works and, and what doesn't. 
And one thing I've found really intriguing over the years I've been observing the gardens is that they um, clearly the organisers pick gardens for the season of which they really have high impact. Yeah. And yeah. one I went to the other day and it was all about the blossoms and the bulbs and I walked around thinking what happens for the other 48 weeks of the year? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so it's just a really great seed to sow in our listeners' minds when you're thinking boom, boom. about putting that <laughs> <laughs> exactly. putting that together to get um, so some interest for across those seasons, across um, thinking of your garden as a dynamic, changing um, space that you want to get joy from throughout the 365 year. 365 days of the year. So let's have a bit of a conversation about – if you don't have a flower, what else is there that provides some structure and interest in your garden when there is no flower? Yeah. Well, if there's no flower, you're looking at other things like um, foliage colour. Um, you're looking at f- shape and form. So plants are just one of the aspects. Yes, of course. And, you know, we talked a bit about this in Structure in Your Winter Garden episode and it's just about looking at, you know, bark can be a really beautiful sculptural piece in your garden in winter um, and then even in spring oh, if yes. I could just interrupt sorry because yes. I just took a photo the other day I have some crepe myrtles in my garden they have a lovely bark it's sort of a bit pinkish mm. and I at the moment have a whole bunch of bulbs coming up under the very naked stark crepe myrtles and actually the contrast is really nice too even though I do have some of my spring bling going on yeah <laughs> but this is where I think it's getting that balance with the foliage and flowers where if you've got those tulips coming up under your crepe myrtle so those tulips that they all those bulbs they're having their time in that place but you haven't dedicated a garden bed to them yes that's right so when they die down you've got other shrubs around in that garden bed that are coming up and having their moment and so there's this so morphing goes, and dynamic yeah, that's right. growth and if, if you're thinking about it in terms of you know very um, simply if you're out in your garden, what you're looking at at that time, you know, at the moment you're looking at the bulbs, but actually when they die down, you'll be looking at the crepe myrtle. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. in the meantime, I'm getting some benefit out of my crepe myrtle, <laughs> <laughs> even though it's wintry. <laughs> yes, that's right. We, we want plants that perform a number of functions for us. And in fact, we'll... isn't there a, um, isn't there, because I was just reading something about this, isn't there a, 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 you know, one of those rules that we've been talking about rules, recently rules. around you need to have a certain number of plants where at least you're getting the foliage aspect of, like there's an 80%, 20% or something like that. I can't remember what the proportion is uh, where people say that's kind of a golden rule almost of pl- uh, garden design. Yeah, I have actually thought of some questions. My third question first, because it comes straight from what you were just saying. And the third question is, what is my balance between foliage and flowers? So here we are talking about not structures or not hardscaping or not anything. It's just foliage interest and flowers. And my answer to that, for those of you who love rules, was minimum 80%. So minimum 80% foliage and 20% year flowers. Year round, you're talking year about? Year round. Yeah. Yep. 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 So evergreen. Yes, yes. And, uh, and, and that is because those elements of the evergreen hold the garden together. And when we talk about evergreen, we're talking also including things like lawn. Yes, of course. Lawn is an evergreen. Well, pr- provided you don't have the Sir Walter Buffalo lawn, which goes brown in winter, because <laughs> it's not going to help you then. So we're talking mm. about the year-round green lawn. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, then again, we have talked in the past about not all foliage is green. That are oh, true. So true. But I'm not sure brown. brown. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're stretching it there. 
<laughs> no one wants to look at a brown lawn, no, do they? No, no. So it, even it in this fad of, of, you know, meadow-style naturalistic planting, we don't actually want to see a dead lawn. No, no. no. Partic- particularly because it's a monoculture and often it doesn't have interesting dried seed heads or movement that a grass might have, you know, otherwise. Mm. So I think, yeah, I think we can safely assume that no one's looking for the dead lawn look. But yep. I was going to say this weekend, I think one of the best descriptions of what you're talking about now that I saw combined both the evergreen with bulbs but also how they used the evergreen too was important so I'll describe what we saw we basically were in the the garden we went to see was Harper's Mansion in Berrima it's a very old garden but there was this one really neat bit where they had clipped box hedge or buxus ball spheres and they were in or rather surrounded by bulbs. So they there was always that really clear structure there. They were dense, tightly clipped balls. So they they you know they stood out as well. And then they were surrounded by the bulbs. It was a really neat way of keeping that mm. year round something there because the bulbs were already on their way out. Yes. And and actually that's um that's a great example to keep extrapolating from because in that same garden bed where the bulbs were having their last moments, you could see the beginnings of the hydrangeas developing their leaves. And you've also got the the hellebores were um, still flowering. Yes. So you've got this sort of longevity of some plants, the ones, the hellebores that have come through winter and into spring and they'll finish soon, but then the hydrangeas which will bush up and take over and hang over where all the, the bulbs were will have their moment. And so it's this evolving uh, – uh, it's it's almost like I think of it like a symphony. Yeah, that's right. And I was going to say you could almost make an art from sort of designing with those transitions in mind if you know that, you know, the hellebores are slightly longer lived than the bulbs, they will transition then and then you'd have a, you know, a hydrangea that will come on just as the hellebores were transitioning out. You could make a complete art out of this if you were very OCD, I think. Well, I mean, I think that's where some of the amazing designers in our industry do get they do go to that sort of end they actually apply a lot of science to their planting plans where uh and i know when i go to the australian landscape conference that um hosted by fleur flannery she always invites this wonderful japanese speaker midori i can't remember full name and she talks about this millennial garden in japan and it is absolutely striking when you see pictures and she gives you pictures on each month so 12 months in the year and it, it's hard to believe it's the same garden because she's applied this science she's a botanist i think by her background and and there's this evolving plant palette yeah. and, and it's absolutely stark from one season to the next it's the same garden but it's beautifully evolving and that's where that dimension of time yes is so right. well done and it's done in a scientific way but it looks so beautiful and artistic but we're, look, we're realists and I certainly won't be going to those lengths. So, so what else can, can okay. we be thinking about well, when we're I, thinking about this? Can I ask um, my second question? Yes, maybe you can. Okay. So when I'm looking at my garden and when you're looking at your garden, you can ask your garden, what is the balance between static and seasonal planting? Mm. And so you're still just talking about plants because static could also be the hardscapes. Uh huh. Or the my, sculptures that, or the fountains. Don't, don't get ahead of me. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Back in my box. That's right. <laughs> and uh, and so the static planting, those things that really don't change, yep. like your hedges. Yes. And 
you know, I guess both, I suppose some of things like your cycads. Yes. That are really if you've got topiary, it if might you've also got be topiary, that. topiary, that's right. Mm. I love the topiary. Yes. And so that's where I would put – this is where you're really getting into the sort of – once again, about 80% you want static and the seasonal planting. See, they're things like – they will last a long time. So think of your deciduous viburnums. Yes. Uh, so they're all, you know, leafing up now. And then the display, it lasts for a long time. It's not like a daffodil. Mm. There's a lot of show there. And then the foliage effect and maples, you know. Yep. You've got this wonderful – that's what I'm talking about, seasonal planting as opposed to flowers. Yes. So that's where with the first question I'd say minimum 80% of foliage to flowers, um, whereas in this one here it's about 80%. Yes. So yes. yeah, that's probably the first question. You're probably better off saying ninety percent. I think. Oh really? Because no, flowers, yeah. you know, if you're just planting something for flowers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're so, short lived. So really, there's almost like a, a a rule in here as well, or you know, guidance. Um, depends on what you you know. <laughs> I'm a guidance. Fleurs are rules. <laughs> <laughs> so really, you want to be thinking about each plant, and we're specifically talking about plants here. So if you can get two elements out of a plant throughout your year, so they might have flowers and be an evergreen, or they might have amazing bark and have flowers, you know, and the rest of the year they're just leaves. So you want something that's almost like of interest more than what so when we're talking about those evergreens, it's not necessarily just evergreens, it's that interest piece, whereas things like bulbs, you really don't plant bulbs for their foliage. No. So they are just about the flower. Mm. A lot of plants will have, and I'm thinking about my camellias now, because they have that beautiful glossy green, evergreen structural foliage the entire year, and then they'll have flowers as well. And they'll have flowers at a time that often not a, not a lot of else is flowering. Ditto with the maples, mm. as Fleur was just talking about mm. then. You get a couple of things out of it. You get the, the lovely leaves, but then you also get fabulous autumn colour. Yes. As well. Yes. And and for our listeners, if you stay tuned to, as we move on through the podcast, we're going to give you some specific examples of, of plants. plants that have multiple functions throughout the season. The ones we call sort Multifunction of... Multifunction units. Multi... That's the photocopiers. <laughs> <laughs> How about multi-season givers? Yeah, good. There you I go. like that. So we'll that can there. go with the one-hit wonders. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. We have to come up with snappy oh, names for these just, different types of plants. Just rolling them out. <laughs> we are. We are. So now I'm going to, I'm going to get you to ask you the third question to your garden and this is where I actually would have started but we went in reverse order that's okay that's because I must mustered up for everyone oh it's because I'm flexible you know I just you don't follow the rules (laughs) 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 bad to throw that one in that's right no this is really really made me twitch but okay (laughs) so the, the third question is what is my balance of hardscaping to planting Mm, all right so now we've 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 talked flowers we've moved into seasonal static plantings now we're looking at plants as a group against the hardscape you know you need hardscaping yes you need a balance um however when you often you often see this with uh i'd have to say some landscapers and magazines that promote kind of on trend landscaping focuses a lot on hardscape Mm. so often you see these really hardscaped areas with very minimal planting and to me they always feel unbalanced see i quite like them (laughs) (laughs) is it a minimalist thing it is it's a minimalist Mm. thing Mm. absolutely and it might be a style choice where contemporary and modern style plays very much into 
the textures and patinas and, and, and the contrast. contrasts of yep. hardscape materials. That's right. So That's materials right. very much versus planting. It is. But I'd just like to also point out it's really good because it's usually pretty low maintenance if you're not a gardener. That's true. You just need to buy yourself a blower. Blower. <laughs> and, and an electric one because yes. it's much better. Yes, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yes. So anyway, I want to I give a little bit of a formula. Like for those people who like rules and guidelines – you know, and you know, some some of us really like numbers. So if you are quite mathematical about this, a good conversation I had with a, a very talented uh, garden designer, he offered that no less than one third of plants. You know, so so if you've got two thirds hardscaping or two thirds kind of I guess open space um, scaping, and one third plants, any less than that, that space feels mean. Yeah. And that's the words he used. He said, it feels mean. Isn't that interesting? And I, I get that. Yes. I can feel that. And often this is, you know, I always refer to that great Aussie backyard that we have yes. described in many of our episodes where you do have this sense of just grass and fence and it feels mean. And sometimes people put these little islands of garden Pot, beds. or oh, yeah. Yeah, a garden bed right in the middle of the grass. Yeah. And it looks mean. That does. That it, does. And it just doesn't belong and it's – poorly weighted and it but there's so many other things that are going wrong there in terms of your design principles it's not necessarily that you've got the proportions wrong in terms of the one third two thirds because I think there are also and I have in my head at the moment you know uh, quite a, a utilitarian sort of white concrete area which might have one very sculptural tree with you know maybe only a few succulents that are quite architectural at the bottom I really like that kind of a look and I would say it would be more like, you know, one-tenth, nine-tenths than it would be a third and two-thirds. But I think that's – and I guess this is this goes back to what we were talking about before. You've got to work out what you want for your garden and yeah. what works for you. But do it cognizantly and think mm-hmm. about how you're designing it because if, if you're someone who, like me, doesn't mind having quite a bit of hardscape versus your soft – then that might be the right thing yeah. as long as you get your balance and your unity and all of the other design principles right. It's, it's subjective, all of this. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting because I think if you're going to go that minimalist or contemporary garden style, you need to choose the plants that punch well above their yes, weight. So you do. have to have a striking and strong evergreen architectural form. Yes. Whereas you can't really have a cottagey no, kind of plants uh, that will only last for a couple of a couple of months. Yes, that's right. They've got to be there all the time. They've got mm. to be very strong. They've got to really hold their own in amongst all that hardscaping. Yeah. Very and true. It, and it, it's very likely that if you choose that style of garden that you want the garden to be quite low maintenance. Yes. And and you want it to be, uh, you know, your focus on that hardscaping is because that's what you entertain or you do that. and uh, And so it really is a personal preference and those sort of gardens are highly static but that might be what works for you that's that's absolutely right if you just like having a blower instead of a lawnmower mm. <laughs> something okay. like that well that's good so let's um let's move on then and have a look at some examples of how how we can actually do this as in how yep. do we get a better balance of foliage and flowers yeah absolutely um, yeah and and we you know i did promise you that we would talk about some of the specifics and, plants yeah, yeah, yeah. that's mm. right and i guess one of the things that we both really liked at, again at harper's mansion when we were away on the weekend was um snow in summer which is a ground cover seriastrum 
right? Serastium tomentosum. I always get that wrong. Mm. Um, in fact, I get every Latin name wrong, so you can, <laughs> you know, just assume that Fleur's got it right. Well, only because I did Latin until year 12. <laughs> that helps. And now I'm redoing it again because my 14-year-old's doing Latin. Well, there you go. There you go. So they had snow in summer, which is a whole lot easier to remember, which is a very low-growing um, ground cover and a bit blue-grey. And they had... Uh, iris bulbs coming up through it so it was a really nice you know the they were going to flower at different times you had the foliage there the whole time when the irises were done you still had something left it was a really nice little description of what we're trying to get at yes and that's that's where the layering yes is the answer to the one hit wonders so you can still have your one hit wonders in there but you've got these other layers that are holding it together and providing a longer uh, seasonal impact and i think the the point is though you should never design a garden based on a particular tree or plant um, but you look at what well, where do i want my high impact areas to be and you know what is that tree going to give me after it's two weeks of blossoms and so this is where we want to also get into that conversation about this multiple season givers. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So if you've got something that has beautiful blossoms, like so we're talking about, say, the Forsythia, it's beautiful and striking and amazing for a couple of weeks. But after that, it's a really boring shrub. It is a very boring – and it becomes a background plant, basically. Mm. Uh, and then in winter, it's a nothing. So yeah. it's just – it's a deciduous as well. Yeah. So, you know, so if it's something like that, if it's a bit of a background plant, then you want to make sure you've got – um, other seasonal interests coming up in front of it. So in the winter, it's just hides somehow. That's right. Or mm. maybe you've got, you know, a, it, there's a, an evergreen behind it. So it comes mm. up in between some evergreens or you have, you know, another perennial that you know comes out at a different time and is more spectacular at a different time after Forsythia has been flowering. So you're actually that, back to that layering. You want yeah. to be thinking about that layering. You want to be thinking about the time element um, around how your plants are sequencing their, I guess, feature whenever yes. that might be. And actually I want to throw one in there for bulbs because we've talked a lot about spring bulbs, but one um, bulb that I always put into gardens, in garden beds, is Noreen's. Be- oh, I was about yeah. to say Belladonna Lazy, the naked oh. la- ladies. Yeah, well, Similar. Uh, see, yeah, same idea because they are autumn flowering bulbs mm-hmm. and they – um, they give you that just pop and joy and lovely colour when everything else is starting to die down. And it's also often a contrasting colour to all the, the autumn colours. <laughs> yes, that's true. I have this riot of colour, those pink noreens against all the autumn oranges. <laughs> Orange, and, that's right. Yeah, actually it does look like a bit Very of a 70s. mess. <laughs> Very seventies, psychedelic baby. <laughs> That's right. But I think the other the other thing to think about, uh, because the brilliant bit about things like the annuals, they are low investment, and you can move them around, and you're not going to have them there the whole time as well. So they're fun to play with if you if you're someone who's interested in the garden, and they're the kind of things you can mix your garden up a bit. You don't have to be all purple one year. You know, you can decide to then, oh, I'm going to have a pink garden or a red garden you know, for the next year when my annuals come out too. So, you know, they are something that gives you a bit of flexibility, which other plants don't necessarily, the evergreen that is, or the, the foliage plants that you might be putting in that structural stuff. Yes, yeah. And let's let's talk about then a couple of, um, just to come give some examples of multiple season givers. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I, I... Oh, you had a better word for them before, multi, multifunctional uh, plants, something... Oh, I can't remember now. Basically, what we're talking about is plants that give you a couple of different functions or performances. Yeah, interest, times. In each of the uh, inner seasons. Yeah. And the one one of my ones that I always kind of love, is, which I'm loving at the moment, is my Circus canadensis. And that's 
a forest pansy. That's my cult, the cultivar that I have. And yes. at the moment it's just got tight, hot pink blossoms that are um, that, that cluster on the branch structure. That's, That's right. very beautiful. And then in coming into uh, late spring, early summer, we'll get those beautiful burgundy heart-shaped leaves. Autumn, they turn um, green when everything else is turning red. And then winter, the branch they all fall off, and then the branch structure of the cirrus is just beautiful as beautiful. well. That's right. So to me, it's a giver. It is. It gives multiple season giver. It's a four season giver. That's I mean, exactly what, what right. What could you want? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, and it look, gives shade too. It, it, there you go. Mm. There you go. And I guess some of the maples will do the same. Uh, and I'm going to get the name wrong, but the coral bark maple. Mm. I'm not even going to try and do the <laughs> Latin name because I'm looking at Sengokaku <laughs> or Sengokaku. There's two different that's ones. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's so right. So it has that beautiful red bark in winter. Mm. It mine are coming out at the moment. They've got these beautiful little buds of lime green flat um, leaves. They will have beautiful lime green leaves, and then they'll give you a beautiful autumn display as well. So for me, that's a multi-season giver also. Yeah, the um, the cornus alba, the um, yes. western bird. That's another beautiful red stem dogwood. Yes, um, for winter. Um, also, I want to highlight one that's probably – I've used it in designs and it's um, it's just a great tree and that's the Garia elliptica. It's also known as the silk tassel, tassel bush. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a tree but you could sort of train it as a bush. But the it's evergreen and in winter it has these long white catkins yes. of flowers. Yes. And it's spectacular. That's the silk tassel thing yes. happening. And, uh, and that's a giver in winter when there's not that much else happening. That's that's very true. Mm. That's very true. And I think we just need to throw some others in here as well. Um, some of the wattles can be amazing. So I'm trying to think of mm. some natives now. The wattles, you get that spectacular spring display. And then some of them have amazing leaf forms that you know persist throughout the year and that are potentially evergreen as well. Oh, yeah. What about um, the Leptospermum morrisoni, the burgundy one? Yes, uh, which I actually don't like a whole lot. type of Leptospermum's type of tea tree. I can appreciate yeah. that you might like it. Oh, no. Well, what I was going to say is it not only does it give a contrast leaf form as an evergreen, but it also is a great screener. Yes, of so course. So it's quite a tall screen. It's kind of tall and narrow. but uh, Good hedgy for, thing. Hedgy thing yep. for a background plant. So you often need to put things in front of it because it's sort of tall and thin. But it's a great one to have like along a, a fence if you want that extra um, extender. So That's some right. people put fence extenders on. I think you just can put some leptospermum there and then you can get it nice. That's um, right. Yeah. And it has divide. the benefit of being one of the few burgundy purple-leafed hedging plants oh, yeah. as well. Yes. There yes. aren't many of them. That's true. Yeah. Actually, it's true. And it's a lovely leaf form. That's right. Loripetalum is another one. It's not a native, obviously, but that's mm. another, well, super hardy, but has interesting leaves and flowers, like the foliage, and then those flowers. And it's obviously a, a purple foliage mm. all year round. And in fact, they seem to flower quite two seasons. Yes. So that's spring the other thing. and autumn, early yep. autumn, early spring. And also, um, they're, when, you know, we're getting to this idea of um, multifunctional so you can have them as a, uh, a spectacular feature shrub yes or you can have it um, you can hedge them yes that's right well. so you can actually cha- change their mm. shape mm. to suit you a bit like a westringer can mm. do the same thing there because you can actually shape them uh, yeah. they can be you know a quite a wild looking thing you can use them in hedges and you can also do a bit of clipping of them as well actually let me let me also give you two functions so edible and hedging 
So here, things I had a like- row of lettuces just coming to my mind. <laughs> I don't think that's what you quite had in. That is not where I'm going. <laughs> not where I'm going because come along, bunny. Bunny, eat all your hedging. That's right. But where I was going there is because some people say, you know, they want a hedge, but they like the fact that it's edible as well, bonus. So here I'm thinking of Fajoa. Oh, yes. They make a great edible hedge. They and, do. And they're better when you've got a lot of them because they need each other to, um, they're not self-fertile. Yes. And bay trees. Yes. Hedge. And, I mean, you really can't eat that many bay leaves in your life. But, <laughs> but if but you yeah. need it for a stew, they're there. Yeah. But I just want to and say. T- and rosemary for topiary. Of course. Of beautiful, course. Beautiful, beautiful for clipping and edible. And uh, is very nice, can be very nice and dense. I was just going to say for those people who don't know what a fajora is, it's actually a fruit. You don't pick the leaves and eat them because <laughs> <laughs> you might be. Pineapple guava. Yes, it's that's known the as. other name. Yes, yeah. And I, right. I mean, I love it. It's a New Zealand native, it I think. It is a New Zealand native. Yeah. And it does have some very interesting red flowers too. Uh, so it, it, it's almost, you know, a, a mini season. Yeah, and because it's quite a grey leaf, people use it in flower uh, arrangements. Yeah, yeah, arrangements. Yeah, that's it's lovely. Right. That's exactly right. I think we could spend a very long time doing lots of, lots of plants. Right. Um, but I think so. They're some of the key ones. I, the one I just want to couple that I want to shout out because they are Australian natives. Corias, lovely flower display, nice, neat shaped evergreen um, mounding clumps, I guess, or shrubs, and also banksia. There's a a range of banksia types, and you can get some lovely prostrate ones, some that are lovely cascading, some that are um, high-growing, you know, the integrifolia, which is more like a a tree, obviously. But I think, you know, there's so many things, and they all have fabulous flowers and interest, and you need to be thinking about your garden in that how can you get the most value out of each and every plant that you put in there? Yeah. So I think the key takeaway here for this episode is think design first. So think about this balance of what you want to achieve, what your trade-offs are prepared to be. Think design first and then identify what's the impact and the structure and the intent of what you want to put in and then identify plants last. I think so that's right. say, right, I want a shade tree that gives the deciduous effect here then to pick the tree that's going to be the right one for that place. That's right. So plants come last, but it's a think design first. And thinking about, as Fleur said before, what is your proportion of, you know, the plants uh, that are the one-hit wonders versus those that are going to give you the multiple seasonal interest and then your softscaping and your hardscaping proportions as well. So I think they're the key takeaways for today, Fleur. And if you want to come and discuss some of these ideas in action... Come to one of some of my garden tours in late October, early November. Gardens with Fleur and uh, we'll discuss these ideas in action. Perfect. Uh, until uh, next time. Until next time. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Spotify. Uh, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you soon. See you next time. See you.